I hope the uh, Church on Mission series has been profitable for you all. It's always good to carefully reflect on our identity and role in the world as God's church, isn't it? Especially in view of the overwhelming forces in society all around us fighting to mold us and demand our allegiance. I know, what you're, I know you know what I'm talking about. We swim in forces trying to grab hold of us, mold us, and demand our allegiance. So it's good to reflect on who we are and what our purpose is in view of who Christ is and what He has revealed to us in His Word. There is only one, right, who will satisfy us with a true sense of identity and purpose. Jesus Christ. We are Christians. Together, His church. His glorious church. We exist to worship Him and to advance His Gospel to the ends of the earth by making disciples. Over the last few weeks, we've answered the questions, what is the church? Our identity. What is the mission of the church? Our purpose. What are the ordinances of the church? What is church membership? The roles of each one of us in the church. These focus on how we function as a church according to God's design. And these last three weeks have highlighted for us how the Lord preserves us and leads us to flourish as a body. Today, I want to close our series by answering the question, what is church vision church vision this one will be is a bit nebulous compared to recent weeks because the reality is there's this concept of vision can be defined in a variety of appropriate ways from scripture consider a hypothetical scenario with me in which the need for vision might show up. Say there's a church that's been operating for a few decades, faithfully following the Lord according to His Word. This church has been growing numerically and in maturity. The staff and pastoral team is expanding and ministry is good. Then, a global pandemic hits, requiring all places of gathering to shut down. This throws all ministry structures and operations out of order. The pressures of society around the church and hardships in the church increase, weighing heavily on the people. Crushing at times. The people are quite disoriented. Some of you right now are saying, hmm? I know this story. Then as the pandemic lifts and people are able to gather again, church leadership transitions begin to take place that no one foresaw. Three out of five 
full-time pastors of up to 16 years move on either to different ministry callings or different stages in life. At that time also, the body is struck by wave after wave of hardship. Tremendous pain and suffering among the people. After three years of hardships, ministry structures need rebuilding, church leadership is strained, pain and suffering still abound. But the people, oh, the people are still together. They've persevered. Now, it's usually at a time like this when you will hear, what now? Where do we go from here? We need vision. And if you haven't been here long enough to connect the dots, that was not a hypothetical story. That was our recent three-year history. Welcome to Riverstone. Life has been hard, but God has been good, hasn't he? Yes, he has. Over the last year, we've been discussing the need to clarify vision for our future. What does that mean? What is church vision? What is it that we need to see or do? This morning, we will look at a pattern found in Scripture that I believe illustrates for us how God's people can take steps toward clarifying God's vision for our unique ministry callings. We'll begin by carefully looking at the call of Moses in Exodus 3, and then we will trace the pattern throughout Scripture at a high level. I'll invite the ushers to come forward and pass out Bibles. You can put your hand up if you need one in hand. By the end of our time together, I want us to have a better understanding of what we mean by vision and gain more clarity on the work ahead of us as we continue to follow the Lord's lead in clarifying our unique ministry calling as a church in our time and place. Okay? That's where we're going. There's a lot to cover today, and you'll see by the end of it. There are going to be some updates and, and a little glance of where we're going ahead. A lot to cover. Let me pray. Ask the Lord to bless His Word, open our eyes, and see Him more clearly. Lord Jesus when we even begin to reflect on the concept of vision, we look to you. You have so clearly revealed yourself through your Son, in your Word. You have given us all we need for a life of godliness. Your Word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path, and so we look to you in your word for guidance. Reveal yourself to us. Give us insight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus 3, I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the mist of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet 
it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Okay, so very clear. Vision comes when you encounter extraordinary fires that engulf objects and yet do not burn them. So pray that God would light fires all around you. I'm joking. I'm joking. There is certainly something extraordinary happening here, that's for sure. But what we're going to see is the pattern for clarifying vision that we'll observe is actually not so extraordinary. What we see in these 10 verses, I suggest, is a threefold pattern that guides us in understanding a vision, in our understanding of vision for ministry. Let's observe the steps of Moses' call to ministry. Step one, in verses one through six, God reveals himself to Moses. After God calls Moses, establishes his holiness before him, he reveals himself. In verse six, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Notice, what God does here. In revealing himself, he reveals his covenantal faithfulness to his people by identifying his relationship to the patriarchs who lived long before Moses. In other words, he's saying, I am your God who has been with you. Why is that important for us? Because what we're going to see this morning is that true vision is anchored vision. Vision for our future is always tethered to past and present realities. Just tuck that away. Step two, what do we see? God reveals what He is doing. What He is doing in verses 7 through 9. Notice a couple things here in these verses. First, notice God's genuine care for His people. Listen to how personal his words are in verse 7. I have surely seen my people's affliction. I have heard their cries. I know their sufferings. You see that? You know that when you're going through hardship, you need 
Someone who can look you in the eyes and say, I see. I hear you. I really know what you're going through. That's intimate language. He's a personal God who knows the hardships that his people go through. Then in verse 8, God reveals to Moses what he plans to do. I'm going to deliver them from their slavery. I'm going to save them from that evil land and save them to a good land of bounty, joy, and prosperity. A land flowing with milk and honey. A land like New Jersey. <laughs> That's right. I'll take that laugh as you agree with me. Okay, so first, God reveals himself. Then he reveals what he's doing. And lastly, look at verse 10. Step three, God reveals what he wants Moses to do. Go, he says. Come, go. Same word. Go. I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. I'm sending you to accomplish my work. Okay, let's stop right here. That's the threefold pattern that we see for vision. Seeing God himself, seeing what God is doing, then seeing what Moses should do. Often when we think we need vision, we tend to simply think we need to know what to do. And that's both correct and incorrect. It's correct because that understanding is birthed from a sense of feeling disoriented, feeling that there's a better way forward. That's good. But if we focus solely on what we need to do, then we can lose sight of vision entirely. Vision consists of seeing what God sees in us and through us. Seeing what God sees in us and through us. Let's see how Moses responds to this call in verses 11 through 18. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to this people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has sent me to you. 
This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us, and now please let us go a three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Let's walk through this slowly, starting at verse 11. Moses' first reaction. Who am I? I can't do this work. Notice. Moses' eyes are glued to the task. So he's right in perceiving the call, but that's all he sees. And let me tell you how much this resonates with me. About 18 months ago, when this new lead role started to appear before me. Mama, mama, mama. Me? Here? No, 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 no. Who am I? I can't, I can't do this. I'm sure I'm not alone in being able to empathize with Moses here at certain points of your path and Lord leading you in your life. God's response in verse 12 is twofold. First, he says, I will be with you. And second, I'll give you a sign that this is truly from me. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Also could be translated, you shall worship God on this mountain. In his response, God makes clear, fix your eyes on me. You're going for me. I know you can't do this. I can't. And I'll be with you. You see, the Exodus was not dependent on the work of Moses as much as it was on the presence of God. You understand that? God's saying, trust me. Now, many understand vision as a clear picture of where God is leading his people. And here, he just so happens to do just that. He gives Moses a snapshot of where they're going. This sign is future-oriented. Look at this. He gives him a clear vision and says, this sign is going to consist of you being my leader, leading my people out of Egypt to this mountain so they can worship me and serve me. This sign is future-oriented. He's saying, that's coming. And when it does, rejoice. Moses responds again in verse 13. Okay, but when I get to the people and tell them, and they ask me, who sent me? What is his name? What am I supposed to tell them? In other words, who are you? Clearly, Moses is feeling a bit insecure about his days ahead. 
He needs assurance for this call. He's already asked, who am I to do this? And now, who are you exactly? Moses is calculating his response to this call. He longs for greater security in knowing himself by seeking greater security in knowing God. God responds to Moses' inquiry in verse 14. I am who I am. Yahweh, the Lord, is my name forever. Family, this is the foundation for all of life. That God is. Always has been. Always will be. Never had a beginning. Never has an end. He is creator and sustainer of all things, completely independent from all of his creation, all of his creation, completely dependent on him. He is absolute reality. Tell them, I am sent you. That's your assurance. Now, notice something here. Remember, focus, uh, Moses is focused on the task at hand. And Yahweh repeats the same pattern that we just saw for Moses to communicate to the Israelites. In verses 15 through 18, he says, Tell them who I am, what I'm doing, and what I've sent you to do with them. You see that? God doesn't say, go tell them you're a visionary and you've got a special vision and they must follow you. No. He says twice in verses 17 and 18, go to the elders. Discuss this with them first. Then move on. You'll have to be in one accord because you're going together. The elders will be with you. There's no lone ranger visionary work happening here. You'll be moving on together. Trust in my word, I will be with you, is what God is saying. So, what we see here in the call of Moses to lead the Exodus is that vision comes from God and is for His glory, right? Since the end result of all vision and ministry is worship. That's the end result. Our God is a visionary God in the sense that He sees, He plans, He reveals His plans and executes them. And it's important for us to know that he chooses to reveal his plans to his people and execute his plans through his people. We have to know that. The threefold pattern that we observed also appears in the unique ministry calls and visions given to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, 
Joshua, Samuel, the prophets, Nehemiah, and into the New Testament with Peter and Paul. Apostles to the Jews and Gentiles. Check them out yourself. All these unique ministry calls involve God revealing himself to them, showing them what he's doing, and what he wants them to do. Vision consists of seeing what God sees in us and through us. In all these calls and ministry visions, God meets his people where they are and always leads them forward toward a better, more fruitful future in accordance with his plans. You understand? Now, how do we connect the dots from Moses' vision for ministry to our desire to clarify our unique ministry vision as a church today? Let us first remember that the Bible consists of one grand story of redemptive history from beginning to end. One story. All the names and ministry visions that I've just referenced are all unique ministry calls in specific places at specific times to ultimately fulfill God's one grand mission of redemption and reconciliation. You get that? Consider the vital connection between the exodus of God's people led by Moses in the Old Testament that we just read and the greater exodus of God's people led by Jesus in the New Testament. Israel's bondage in slavery was a picture of our slavery to sin. Until we come to God by faith, we are living as captives in the oppressive Egypt that is our sin. We're enslaved to our corrupt passions and desires. Far greater is this enslavement to sin than the enslavement to Egypt. If we are to be rescued, God will have to send another deliverer like Moses, but one who is far greater to save us. And he did just that. We recall the words of Jesus who said to the religious leaders in the Gospel of John, chapter 8. Jesus says, Unless you believe in me, you will die in your sins. And they said, Well, who are you? And after some words, he says, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. And they said, What? You're not even 50 years old, and you claim to have seen Abraham? You remember what Jesus says? Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. That didn't go over so well. They were filled with rage and would have killed him right there if he didn't escape. Scripture says. And then later in John, John chapter 18, at the Garden of Gethsemane, the night that he was betrayed, the Roman centurions come upon Jesus and they say, are you Jesus of Nazareth? You remember? What does he say? I am. And Scripture says an overwhelming force struck the, centur the centurions back and they fell to the ground. 
I love that scene. It's powerful. Jesus says, I am the great I am. Jesus revealed himself to be the full revelation of God himself. He is the greater Moses who in his death and resurrection rescues, redeems us from our sin and reconciles us back to God. This is the new and greater exodus that we receive by faith in him. And remember, from what we've covered in our series over the last several weeks, the God who saves is also the God who sends. He calls us in and sends us out. In Christ, we have a new identity and a new purpose in this life. We view ourselves and our purpose in light of who He is and all that He's done for us. Amen? Track with me now and consider the mission of the church again. Matthew 28, Jesus says, Go, advance the gospel, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Behold, I am is with you always. How am I to serve in this role? I am is with you. How are we going to persevere through this difficult year? The staff and elders said two years ago. I am is with us. How is Brother Gerges and family going to find the courage and the assurance to persevere in difficult places? I am is with you. I am has sent you. You going to say something? At work, in the neighborhood, too risky. Where are you going to find the courage, the assurance? I am is with you. I am has sent you. What are you doing here today? What are you doing at Riverstone? I am has sent you. Do you get it? Family, the second we lose sight of this ultimate reality, we lose our foundation for assurance and confidence. Christ tells us, I am with you always. Very similar to the call of Moses. And God also gives us a clear snapshot of the final result of our mission, doesn't he? In the book of Revelation. Consider this. Now before this revelation is given, what does Jesus do? He reveals himself again. Revelation 1.8. When he reveals himself to John, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. In other words, I am who I am. Then Jesus gives us a vision of the end, with which our brother and sister just read, Revelation 7-9. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Everlasting worship. That's the glorious final vision of where God is leading us when his mission of redemption is fully completed. 
He's given us a clear picture of where we're going. This is fascinating. Revelation 21 and 22, the final two chapters in the Bible, could not be more vivid. The whole church and the whole world is headed either toward everlasting splendor in the new heavens and the new earth or everlasting contempt in the lake of fire that is hell. This is God's grand story and we're living in it. We're living in it. He has saving purposes for us. So, we looked back to see when God was forming His people in the Exodus. Then we look forward to see where God is leading all of His people in Revelation. Now we must stream back to where we are today. Riverstone Church, November 19, 2023. And we ask the question, what is our unique ministry vision? What we've seen in this whole series over the last several weeks is that God has revealed to us His mission and the Great Commission to His church in Scripture. Our responsibility is to then discover and discern how we will fulfill Christ's commission with the people and the resources given to us in our time and place. You see that? That is why discovering our unique disciple-making vision as a church is important. Some of us may ask, why should our vision be so distinct from other churches? Haven't we all been given the same commission? Why do we need to discern our uniqueness? And that's a good question. Again, the pattern of vision that we've seen can help us here. We look to who God is, what He does, what He's doing, and then we discover our role in His work. So to start, now that we have the full revelation of God in His Word, consider who He's revealed Himself to be. God, in His nature, expresses His majesty in diversity. Does He not? He creates all elements of nature uniquely. From the massive stars and planets across the vastness of the ocean, uh, the universe, to, to every single ocean animal, to, to every single animal on earth, to the smallest distinct snowflake that drops on the face of this earth, unique. And more importantly, he makes each and every one of us uniquely different. He does not mass produce. Every individual, every one of us in this room, fearfully, wonderfully made, uniquely made, with distinct purposes, works prepared for you, Gifts given to you all for the fulfillment of one common purpose. God's mission and His glory. We saw last week in Romans 12 how each member has distinct gifts that are all to be used for the same mission. Now, follow the logic. God gathers His uniquely made children into unique assemblies, local churches, which exist 
in particular time and places are composed of uniquely gifted people and led by a unique group of leaders. I think you get the point. If every local church is composed of unique individuals in a particular time and place led by a unique group of leaders, then each local church has distinct kingdom purposes in the universal mission of God. Can you see that? This can be affirmed by a survey of the New Testament in which we see letters and messages to and from local churches addressing specific collective strengths and challenges in view of their varying contexts. Examine the variety of epistles to and from churches. Consider the unique characters of the Berean church, the Macedonian church, the, church, the characteristics of these churches, unique, the church in Antioch, the seven churches in Revelation, to name a few. Each unique in their composition and context. Now, our job in clarifying our vision in the year ahead is to identify what our distinct kingdom purposes are. Remember, church vision consists of seeing what God sees in us and through us. This has both present and future orientation. We want to clarify with a spiritual perspective who we are and what God wants to do through us. This doesn't come naturally. It doesn't. We take a lot for granted <laughs> naturally. Most of us just naturally come and go according to our schedules without stopping to carefully discern where God has purposefully placed us, who's around us, what are our opportunities for kingdom impact. This requires spiritual insight. In order to discover God's vision for us moving forward, we must first see how God has already been leading us. What has He been doing? What is He doing now? Remember, clear vision is anchored vision. So bear with me as we extend just a few more minutes. This is important for where we've been and moving forward. Our starting point, which we've begun a year ago together, really consists of carefully examining the obvious, but looking for fresh new meaning in that which is familiar. Over the last year, we've had two church-wide efforts to gather insights from you all in our efforts to clarify our composition, who and what God has brought together in us at Riverstone, and our context. Where has he placed us for unique kingdom impact? This should be obvious to a certain degree. My friend's church, Edge City EFCA in Long Island, should not be responsible to impact lower bucks with the gospel, right? We are. So, what should that look like based on who we are. 
There's a priority of proximity in God's mission because he is purposeful in all things. And this applies to you as individuals in your workplaces, in your places of where you reside, in your neighborhoods, and this applies to us as a church. We are an embassy of the kingdom of God placed here in Yardley. That's a spiritual perspective. Over the last year, we, fil- we facilitated seven focus meetings. Do you remember those? About 15, 18 months ago at this point. It's been a longer season than we, than we anticipated in this work, but that's okay. The Lord is setting the pace. We had seven focus meetings. Remember those in which everyone was invited who considers Riverstone to be their home church. These were both encouraging and incredibly insightful. We also sent out a church-wide survey this past spring, if you remember, right before the summer, to gather further insights and demographics from you all, and we received much valuable data for moving forward. This was phase one of our vision work, prayer and gathering insights from you all. Remember, you're the church. Each one of you, a valuable member here, you are priests and saints in this household. Your insights and your participation in this work is vital. It is not, to clarify, my vision that we need. That could be a misunderstanding. Sometimes we hire the new guy, the lead guy, and we're like, what's your vision for us? That's fair, maybe at times, depending on how you're thinking about that and appropriating that, maybe. But as a church, we all have a unique role and and an invaluable uh, role to play in this. It's God's vision that we seek together. Each one of us, a unique role in this work, and each one of us, a unique role in our future together. So few minutes here and then we're done. Several elders, staff members, and ministry leaders assisted with distilling all those insights from these two initiatives. And we were able to condense some of the leading insights onto one page, okay, that you'll find on your way out this morning on the tables at the, at the exit doors and the entrance doors. I want to read th- through these quickly in closing. These are the top strengths, gifts, and values of our church that we want to maintain and uphold. These were gathered from all of your insights. One, we treasure treasure the Word of God and its central message on the gospel of Jesus. We preach and teach the Word with faithfulness all throughout our church. We strive to develop and uphold Christ-like integrity and excellence among our church leaders. Three, we deeply value God's gift of young families in our church and prioritize the teaching, equipping, and nurturing of our children, youth, and parents. These are unique strengths, gifts, and values of our church. Number four, we recognize the great provisions of God in our facilities, both in Yardley and Bristol, and desire to maximize these platforms for gospel advancement. Five, We recognize the great provisions of God in financial resource and the shared spiritual gift of giving for kingdom impact. Six, we deeply value the experience of worship and fellowship in communal life. These were from you, gathered collective insights. These are the areas where we as a church want to strengthen and grow. One, 
We desire to make, mature, and multiply more disciples in small group communities as we fulfill the Great Commission. Two, we have a passion to actively reach out and engage our local community in service and evangelism. We want to see our gifts and resources being used for church planting and community impact. Three, we want to continually grow in discipling and serving others in the church as we discover and develop our spiritual gifts. We desire more biblical education and ministry equipping. Four, we have a desire to attract and engage more young adults and nearby college students. And five, we desire to strengthen our communal prayer life. Family, these are valuable insights that we were able to distill from the survey and the focus meetings. If you grab a sheet on the way out, you will find the actual data on these lists which led to these conclusions with the corresponding rankings and percentages that we were able to pull from the survey and the focus meetings. Family, these efforts will continue to guide us in setting priorities, searching for the right candidates as we seek to rebuild uh, our pastoral team and staff, and they'll inform us on our vision discovery work as we move into phase two next year. In 2024, at a glance, we will be working toward clarifying God's vision for our church, where we're going, our strategy, how we'll get there, our values, what we want to strive to see the culture of our community be, and measurements of progress in order to evaluate our progress in fulfilling our mission. We'll discuss this more in the new year as we move into phase two of this vision discovery work. But for now, pray, family. Pray that God will continue to lead us in clarity. Pray that everyone at Riverstone would discover and be encapsulated in a deep sense of belonging and purpose in Christ here as a church. Thank you for being part of God's glorious work in and through this church over a year ago we entered into a new season of life and ministry as a church. But one thing, at least one thing, has remained steady and certain. I am is with us. Amen? I am is with us. Let me close in prayer and pick one of these insights up on the way out. I commend them to you as, as uh, part of fruits of your contribution up to this point. Lord Jesus, we see you, Lord. For those among us today who do not know you, Lord, would you open the eyes of their hearts, Lord, to see and behold the beauty of true redemption, liberation, restoration, reconciliation, everlasting life in you. Lord, lead us forward as a church with unity, clarity. Guide us forward one step at a time, Lord. Help us to maximize faithfulness in the here and now and trusting that you will always lead us in triumphal procession. The great I am is with us, and so to you we look. We give you the glory and honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. God